And joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Al Bett. Good morning, Al. Magilla Gorilla. <laughs> that was my um, one gorilla song that I knew, I guess, before this one was Magilla Gorilla. That was an old uh, cartoon for those folks who were not aficionados of the uh, short-lived, probably, cartoons of the past. And it was it was good, Magilla Gorilla. What year was uh, that, by the way? Because I uh, don't recall hearing that one. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you beat me. Uh, it's a, yeah, Gorilla for Sale, Magilla Gorilla. I, I have no idea what year that was. And uh, I don't, to be honest, I don't remember watching it. But <laughs> I, I knew this song. You know, they all had that theme song. And I think, was it uh, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, where John Candy has got the whole group singing? Uh, they're trying to get him to sing different songs, and he comes up with the theme to the Flintstones, mm. and everybody knew that, and they were singing <laughs> along and just happy. So I, I, I heard a Brown Thrasher out here uh, singing like jazz riffs enthusiastically, and he Ooh. might have been singing part of Magilla Gorilla. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's a big moment in the bird's life, I think, uh, the way he sings, and in mine, too. I loved its song and wondered, I, you always wonder if that's the same bird that sang from the same tree from that same perch last year. Mm-hmm. And I, who knows? Uh, you know, birds and humans are creatures of habit, so it could be a repeat visitor. Uh, well, visitor isn't correct. This is the Thrasher's home every bit as much as it is mine, uh, more. My wife just showed me a photo of a snowy owl that uh, I took uh, seven years ago in May, uh, seven years ago, of a snowy owl uh, near New Richland would be the closest uh, address, I guess. Uh, It's just amazing to see one that late. I crackle. I put out peanuts, and blue jays love them. A lot of birds like them, but crackles enjoy them too. And uh, they are in the shell. And I put it out for the blue jays and red-bellied woodpeckers primarily. But the crackles have found them, and the crackle male flies in. He grabs one, flies to the ground, pecks the shell open to find the prize inside. It's like a box of cracker jacks. How did the grackle repay me? It did a drive-by dropping of droppings that hit the tip of my sandal, missing my toe by the width of a pencil stroke. And that's what happens when you put your best foot forward, I guess. Uh, Then the bird went off to chase a squirrel. So it had a big day for that bird. Uh, Paul Hansen, there's an Albert Lee Audubon Preserve, oddly enough, in Albert Lee. And Paul takes care of the bees there, and he put ten to 12,000 bees in a hive, and they really he makes some great honey out of that. Yuri Justin of Ellendale said, my neighbor saw a mama squirrel running across the yard with a baby in its mouth a few times. Never heard of a squirrel moving its babies. Cats do, but squirrels? And then she asked how our teenage, uh, how our baby squirrels are doing. I expect they're teenagers by now. Uh, yeah, Gail and I had some baby squirrels, and uh, they are they are adults now, and they're doing well. I've seen as many as five at a time, so I can't say for sure if all of the squirrels we had survived or not. They could have moved, you know, to the neighbor's place or somewhere. 
I have watched squirrels move youngsters a number of times. Uh, Yuri, uh, mother squirrels normally have several nests, and they'll move the babies if a nest is threatened or flea-infested. You don't want to raise your babies in a <laughs> flea-infested hovel. Uh, so they will move them. Do they do uh, it the same them. as cats do to kittens, grab them by the scruff of the neck by chance? Yeah, they okay. carry them in their mouth. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's an odd when you first see them. I've had people say uh, that they've seen a, a squirrel, you know, eating a baby squirrel and things, and I'm guessing it's pretty much always they're just carrying one to another nest. Uh, Leanne Alt saw a summer tanager in Wasika County, Joel Xavier of Allendale, a photo of a red-winged blackbird female, and saw some trumpeter swans at Myrie Big Island State Park. Uh, Kent Spellman of Albert Lee saw a rose-breasted grosbeak. Rick Draper of Albert Lee, uh, red fox den, it's off the bike trail. Uh, Daniel Otten of Hayward saw a peregrine falcon take a wood duck out of the air. Mm. Uh, Brenda Katasik of St. Peter had a fawn in her yard. Jerry Victoria of Ellendale said lots of hummingbirds and wild turkeys this year. Jerry is a, uh, his place is a mecca for wild turkeys. They come there and they display and strut around. It's just incredible how he does it. He showed me some videos and a lot of them. And I have seen one hummingbird in my yard is all this year. So apparently Jerry got them all. <laughs> uh, Don and Dwayne Swenson of Wasika, a summer tanager. Doug Keezer said there is a snowy egret at High Island Lake. In, well, that'd be near New Auburn. It's in Sibley County. Uh, Deanie Winninger and Nancy Rosenberg of Albert Lee called me about an injured bird. Uh, I s told them the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, a wonderful, wonderful place. Doug and Gretchen Banks of Fairmont said, We have a situation in our backyard in Fairmont, Minnesota, which began about 12 months ago. We seem to have become a latrine for skunks and raccoons. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I giggle like that. Isn't that terrible? I, I, I'm sorry. Every night, early morning, they visit our yard and poop in the same spot, which is about 10 yards from our house and under a tree. They leave as many as three to four large piles each visit. The skunks also sometimes throw a scent which drifts into the Ooh. house when the windows are open. We've tried various things, but nothing has been effective in curtailing their visits. We have two bird baths on pedestals and lots of landscape plantings. We've lived in the same spot for over 20 years and not had this problem until recently. Oh, yeah. Raccoons like to put their latrines alongside fences, trees, wood piles, rocks, or decks. I hear from people they like the side of decks, sometimes even on the deck in a corner. Well, I had that one time there was something was pooping on our deck right outside the door as you walk onto the deck, and I couldn't figure it out. And I think we thought maybe it was a raccoon or something, because I don't know what else it was. But all of a sudden there were these piles every day. And it was in the same place, and I thought that was just really weird. That was one year it hasn't come back, thank goodness. Good. One way, if you've got it out on the lawn, uh, Doug and Gretchen, uh, I'd try to really water that latrine area really heavy so that it's wet and muddy, and, and that's apparently not to a raccoon's liking. 
they're uh, fairly uh, fussy about what their latrine is going to look like, and they don't want it to be wet and muddy. And then you can stop over watering <laughs> once the uh, raccoons have shunned the latrine, because I think this is what they do, is shun latrines. You could also get really a little more high-tech and put a motion-activated sprinkler around the latrine site so when they come they get sprayed. I would think those actions would work on skunks too. And uh, I always want to add a warning. Raccoons can carry a parasite. Uh, it's called a raccoon r- roundworm. Mm. And the risk for transmissions to humans is low. Yeah, typically you have to ingest one, but you know, be careful cleaning up raccoon feces. So disposable the, gloves and a mask are a good idea. I was wondering if you had pets, could like a dog or even a cat or something, if they were, you know, dogs tend to eat weird stuff. Could they get that if, if it was, uh, you know, they ate it maybe? Yeah, and just about any of us can get that. So it's just a, a nasty thing. It's the it's the worst part of raccoons, and it oh. doesn't bother raccoons much. I'm sure it doesn't do them any good, but it doesn't huh. really impact them greatly like it does all the rest of us out here. A uh, Rick Mammal of Albert Lee said, Amy Wasson and Jeff Miller were my neighbors as we arrived here in July of 2007 until last year. Three or four years ago, Amy wanted me to build a bat house. As soon as that was completed, she urged me to build a wood duck house. Once done, I hung it in a tree behind our garden shed. Amy and Jeff managed to have a pair of woodies make a home in a bur oak tree along the back border of their property line. They tended to have residents nearly every spring, if not everyone. I moved my wood duck house to the front of our property in a large baroque tree a few yards from our garage with Jeff's kind assistance. As a pair of folks were departing from our driveway, a hen wood duck exited the house I had built like a bolt of lightning. We are looking forward to the little ones making the leap for life in likely only a few weeks. They'll have a cushy landing in lily of the valley flowers and hostas beneath it. Uh, TJ, Tom, Jessen, and Medelia said, Hi, Al. I went paddling in my canoe uh, near Medelia and found a pair of nesting swans on an old muskrat mound. As I turned the corner of the bay, they saw me and moved off the mound. I had no idea it was a nest till I got close and saw two huge eggs. I wondered why they moved off so suddenly, but then I found out the female lays several eggs and doesn't begin incubating until the last one is laid. Well, thanks, TJ. And... uh, TJ sent some photos of the eggs, and they are, as you might imagine, large, as Tom said. They're, uh, they will lay probably four or five eggs, and it takes 33 to 37 days to incubate. And uh, they, the ugly duckling, the old uh, folktale about that, baby swans or anything but an ugly duckling. They're just beautiful, exquisite, and grew up to be this amazingly elegant bird. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee sent photos of a black and white Tennessee magnolia and chestnut-sided warbler. Also saw an oven bird. Michael Atkins saw a Henslow Sparrow in Blue Earth County. Ron Erpelding, what a good guy Ron is. I run into him on the birding trail often. He saw a western kingbird in Cottonwood County. 
Tom Bover, another wonderful guy. They, they all are. Uh, saw an Acadian flycatcher in Rice County, Dave Bartke, a Sanderling in Steele County, Bob Williams, an American avocet in Sibley County, one of my favorite birds. Uh, William Marengo saw a Smith Longspur at the Clements Wastewater Treatment Plant in Redwood County. Michael Atkins saw a redneck phalarope in Watwan County, and Dave Bartke had a least bittern in Steele County. I often think about least bittern. They're so beautiful. Uh, Bill Thompson, who was the former editor and the late editor of Birdwatcher's Digest, and I were birding in North Dakota, and we had a couple busloads of people following us around, and we're by a marsh there, and we said this is a good place to see least bittern. And one of us, I'm going to say it was Bill, and if he were still around, he would say it was me that said it. <laughs> we can hear them, but the chances of seeing them are, are nil. And we saw one fly right around that time, and a lot of oohs and ahs, until it flew past a great blue heron, which uh, ate it. So that was, people got to see a lot of them, their life or least bittern for just a little while before it was consumed by a much bigger bird. Uh, nice question here from somebody said, Al, you were talking about dragonflies the other day. And, oh, I love dragonflies and had a lot of common green darners, which are a migrant that come back, and we typically see them in May here. How did the dragonfly get its name? And I remember looking at a book, I think it was at some kind of uh, nature center somewhere. It was, I, I wrote down the name of it. It was a folklore of the dragonfly, a linguistic approach. Uh, page turner for a lot of folks. It's theorized in that book that the name dragonfly came about because of uh, ancient Romanian folk tales. And the devil had turned a horse ridden by St. George. And it, yeah, that's St. George and the dragon that a lot of us are uh, familiar with. Turned his horse into a giant flying insect. And the Romanian names that people use for the giant insect translated into St. George's horse, devil's horse, or devil's fly. The Romanian word for devil was drac, D-R-A-C, also the word for dragon. And the book, again, it's a folklore of the dragonfly, a linguistic approach, suggested that the Romanian name for the devil's fly evolved into the English dragonfly. I grew up, my uh, grandmother came from Sweden as a young woman, and in Swedish folklore, it holds that the devil uses dragonflies to weigh people's souls. Oh, they were a happy lot, some of those Swedes. We think about them here, we're not oh, devil's darning needles, uh, snake doctors, they have some mosquito hawks. The dragonflies have so many different uh, nicknames. Our, this is a, from a youngster who said, are owls really able to turn their heads all the way around? <laughs> I was walking on a trail, and I wondered that, too, when I was a yeah. kid. I walked on a trail. It's called Brookside Park, and I heard a barred owl call that distinctive, who cooks for you, who cooks for you all. 
owls can rotate their heads 270 degrees in either direction. So not 360, but right up there, 270. And please, folks, do not try this at home. They're trained professionals. They can turn it that way without damaging blood vessels or cutting off the blood flow to the brain. The owl has uh, bone and vascular structures running along its neck and into its skull that keep the blood flowing even when its head is swiveled up to 270 degrees. We don't have those. Uh, if an owl were human size, their eyes would be the size of grapefruits or maybe softballs. And owl eyes face forward. That's why man thought owls were so intelligent, because they look kind of like us. And they thought, <laughs> boy, they, they got to be, be wise if they look like us, because we know how smart we are. And their owl eyes are immovable, so they provide great binocular vision. But owls have to compensate for those immovable eyes by the ability to rotate their heads. So if they want to see somewhere else, they have to move their head because they can't move their eyes like we can. And I know uh, I hear from a lot of people that say owls aren't around during the day because they can't see very well. Some of our owls are diurnal. All of them will hunt if need be during the day if they get hungry enough. But they can see well both in daylight and at night. Uh, Daniel and Kim Martin of Hayward saw that raptor take the adult wood duck, and they wondered what else might, other than a peregrine falcon, might take a wood duck. Predators of adults, uh, these aren't going to take them out of the air for the most part. Some would, but it'd be raccoon, fox, great horned owl, barred owl, and goshawk. And on the subject of peregrine falcons, a peregrine falcon nest cam is at the Mail Building in Rochester. And if you just go, it's an Earth Cam product. If you go Mail Building peregrine falcons, they'll pop up there. And there's four young ones. And I love that. It kept me. Um, I spent a few weeks in the hospital there some years back, and that was what was on my TV pretty much all the time, was watching those peregrine falcons. And also, uh, to mention again, the Decora North bald eagle cam, the first Decora bald eagle cam, that nest is was deserted for this year. But the Decora North bald eagle cam, and that's on YouTube, and that they have two young ones there, and it's pretty cool. My wife and I were watching it, and folks, if you got work to do, uh, probably don't go to watch this because it'll you won't get anything done. There's cows walking by; you can see them in the background down low, and it's just uh, really neat. The the pair they flew off to a branch. The babies were sleeping. So mom and dad just flew off on a branch, and they're both looking the same direction, and they'll talk in a little bit, and it's just like parents do. They go off and say, well, our things are going, you know, well, we could use some fish here. It was just really neat to see that. So I, I highly recommend both those. And, but, again, if you have, you know, some uh, pressing work to do, maybe uh, avoid both of those. <laughs> Somebody asked, how many quills does a porcupine have? I don't want to uh, find I'm, out. I know that much. <laughs> oh, and I'm guessing somebody counted them. Oh. They said around around 30,000 oh quills. 
And uh, I tell everybody that I was in uh, oh in Alberta, working up in Alberta, telling some stories at things, and I got to pet a porcupine there. What? And I gave him an apple. Wait a minute, you he pet the at, porcupine? Because um, I know hedgehogs are very prickly. Are they related by chance to hedgehogs? Any? Do you know? You know, I have no idea if they are. Yeah, but they look kind of like a, a hedgehog, like a miniature porcupine look to yes. it. But I think the porcupine quills are probably a, a little more dangerous. But this guy was at a rehab center, mm, okay. not, you know, for chemical problems or anything. <laughs> I don't know why he was there because he seemed to be fine. And he made these little uh, odd sounds, and he's following me around. And the uh, one of the operators of that center said, gave me a small apple, and he said, "Give him this apple, and you will be his friend for life, and you can pet him." So I got to pet this uh, porcupine, and he was uh, he was just a fine guy. I enjoyed his company, and he talked pretty much the whole time he was eating that apple. I have no idea what he was saying, but it seemed to be important. So I li- I listened intently, but uh, yeah, it was fun. I never dreamed I'd ever get the chance to pet a porcupine. But uh, did it I, hurt, I mean, or how do you make sure it doesn't hurt? You got to pet with the grain. I think is the secret. You wouldn't want to ruffle the quills, so to speak. So I just pet uh, from the head back, and he seemed to be happy. I mean, it's not a purring sound, but it's a sound that you could tell was content. He liked that. I think it was more so about the apple than it was me petting him. But I think he has been petted by a lot of folks that come visit there. He's sort of the mascot of that wildlife rehabilitation center. So it was it was pretty neat, and I don't remember his name. You'd think it would be Porky, but I'm sure that wasn't it. But it was uh, fun seeing them. They're really cool. I stayed at, uh, I was working at Bemidji State, and I stayed in a friend's cabin along the lake there one year. And there were so many baby porcupines. It was just an, uh, an amazing year for them. And I could hear them crunching at night. <laughs> it was hard to sleep. I'm, I'm kind of a light sleeper for the most part. And I, I finally had to step outside on this little uh, cabin deck thing, and I could hear that just, <laughs> and it was these all these porcupines eating out there. And I thought, oh, they'll be coming for the cabin next. Uh, you were kind enough, Karen, to send me a thing from the United Way Born Learning Trail. They're doing a ribbon cutting in Wasika on May 26th, and uh, community members which that pretty much covers all of us is in, they're we're all invited to Wasika's Northeast Park. It'll be 11 a.m. It's a again born learning trail. May 26 Wasika's Northeast Park. It has 10 signs and painted sidewalk graphics offering simple age-appropriate activities to help parents or caregivers engage with young children to turn an outdoor trip into a fun learning experience. And these signs will give guardians tips about talking with their child or letting their child lead the way as they spend time together outside. It'll build a child's curiosity and confidence. One sign instructs, pretend (laughs) to move like an animal, walk like a duck, or jump like a frog. Another one asks, is your child pointing at something? Ask, what do you see? And the idea is to turn everyday moments into learning moments. So that is uh, sounds like a really great deal. And it is uh, who is uh, kind of running all this or who 
thought it up. It's the Greater Mankato area, United Way, Thrivent, the city of Wasika, and community members who uh, made this possible. I thought it was such a neat thing because, you know, you and I grew up on the farm, and I had nature all the time. I, um, and, I mean, was just immersed in it. We had woods everywhere and all kinds of things, ponds, lakes, you name it. But not all kids, especially if you grew up in a city, get exposed to that stuff. I remember walking through the woods with my dad, and he would point out the name of the trees, the leaves, and the plants and things. And so I used to learn all that stuff, and I thought, well, this is cool, this um, new this Wasika's Northeast Park, a way to get kids immersed in it. Because if you're not exposed to it, you don't really pay attention to it. So I just thought it was a really neat thing and hope people will take advantage of that. Again, it's a Wednesday, May 26th at 11 a.m. in Wasika. So it looked like a fun thing. And it's uh, so important, as we all know, because there's been so much research done to get outside and do things outside. It's pretty easy to never get far from a screen and spend uh, pretty much all your life just seated in one place and it's it's important to get outside for our uh not only our physical health but of course our mental health i got a question oh i was going to say i got a question from keith in mapleton and you you chatted a little bit about this earlier but i want to get his question and he says could you ask al when to expect the hummingbirds back and you mentioned it a little bit but keith is just wondering if i think he wants to see them soon yeah, right now, uh, Keith. Yeah, so I'm hoping one will show up in your in your yard as of well this minute, because they are out there. I've seen them on the trails and things. I haven't seen them. I've seen one in my yard, and I used to say, was oh, it May twelfth? They, they'll be seen in northern Minnesota in places. I, I think it was like Itasca Park used to put out a thing where they said May 12th was when they typically saw their first one of each year up there. So we would get them a little bit before that, and I saw the one in my yard quite early, but uh, for some reason they're avoiding me. So right now they uh, arrive females in early to mid-May is typically when we get them here. So, I, I, boy, I hope you get not one but a, a whole flock but of them. That would be so Because cool. it was colder, this, this, this spring was very cold, do you think that's a reason why they're not here yet and maybe the warmth will bring them back? It, it sure could be. Uh, it's just, it just makes it hard because there's no food for them. Because we get the males here typically oh, late April. We'll have somebody will report them in early May. And again, the females arrive in early to mid-May. So it, it they should be there. We're starting to get some flowers and things now. And sap suckers are around, and they, they put these notches in a uh, sap-producing tree, and the hummingbirds will feed there a little bit off the sap, but off the insects that are drawn there. So there's uh, been kind of a lack of insects, too. So those two things have conspired to probably have fewer of them. But thanks, Keith. Good luck. Uh, I enjoy the writings of Annie Dillard, and her book Pilgrim at Tinker Creek is an exquisite. And I, I read her essay, Living Like Weasels, recently, which mentioned author and wildlife artist Ernest Thompson Seton, who was a hero for me when I was growing up. He, uh, he I, I don't know how truthful some of the stories were, but they were also good. Uh, his report is someone shooting an eagle and finding the skull of a weasel attached to the raptor's throat. And he guessed the eagle had swooped down and grabbed the weasel. Uh, 
the would-be prey chomped onto the throat of the eagle and never let go. And the eagle carried a reminder of that day for the rest of his life. And I just thought, wow, what a story. Uh, folks, thanks for uh, sitting on the front porch with me. Grandma's method of child care was to keep feeding us until we required a nap. <laughs> I fed it to trough as a conveyor brought more food, hot dishes, and Canada recipes were common. A Canada recipe was one you added a Canada beans. Uh, I knew where my next meal was coming from. What I didn't know was when it would end. Grandmas were aproned 12 hours a day in those days, and gravy covered a multitude of sins. Back then, the health food section of the grocery store had two items, oatmeal and more oatmeal. Eat the succotash, Grandma suggested. I like the corn, but not the lima beans. My father called them butter beans, but they taste like lima beans. Grandma added that succotash isn't going anywhere without you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Al, thank you yeah, very much. Yeah. We'll be back and chat with you next uh, next Tuesday. All right. Look forward to it. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Our good friend Al Bat. Hey,